Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to sing together. We thank you for the great riches and delights that we have in Christ and in the gospel. We thank you for your unending faithfulness to us and your sufficiency. And we pray that you would only increase our delights today as we look at your word, that you would convict us, that you would draw us to yourself, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Air Florida Flight 90 was a scheduled U.S. domestic passenger flight from Washington National Airport to Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport with an immediate stopover at Tampa International Airport. On January 13, 1982, the Boeing 737 crashed into the 14th Street Bridge over the Potomac River just two miles from the White House. There was an article that was written uh, on this particular crash uh, entitled, The Crash of Flight 90, Doomed by Self-Deception? The article describes the back-and-forth conversation between the pilot and the co-pilot, and the scary reality when you begin to read this article is that the instruments were telling them uh, that the plane had not gained enough speed In fact, uh, the instruments, many of them were contradictory to one another um, because of the ice that had formed on the plane. Uh, But they chose to disbelieve those conflicting instruments, engaging in, as the article suggests, self-deception. So here's a brief excerpt from the article. The co-pilot says, that doesn't seem right, does it? Three seconds later, the co-pilot says, ah, that's not right. Two seconds later, the co-pilot says, well... Two seconds later, the pilot says, yes, it is. There's 80. It takes, and the article says, it takes 11 seconds for the pilot to respond to the co-pilot. Apparently referring to an airspeed of 80 knots, he seeks to explain away the instrument readings that are troubling the co-pilot. This fails to satisfy the co-pilot, and one second later, the co-pilot says, no, I don't think that's right. Nine seconds later, having received no support from the pilot, the co-pilot wavers. Ah, maybe it is. Two seconds later, the pilot states the speed at which they're traveling. The pilot says 120. Two seconds later, the co-pilot says, I don't know. Caught between his own doubts and the pilot's certainty, the co-pilot finally lapses into uncertainty. Everyone has experienced this very strange phenomenon. Uh, The parent who experiences the untimely death of a child might be described by people as being in denial. They may strangely know of their child's death, yet exhibit odd behavior and tell other people that the child is still alive and maybe they'll be home from school any moment now. Even one of Aesop's fables describes this strange phenomenon of self-deception that says this, a fox one day spied a beautiful bunch of ripe grapes hanging from a vine trained along the branches of a tree. The grapes seemed ready to burst with juice, and the fox's mouth watered as he gazed longingly at them. The bunch hung from a high branch, and the fox had to jump for it. The first time he jumped, he missed it by a long way, so he walked off a short distance, took a running leap at it, only to fail short once more. Again and again he tried, but in vain. Now he sat down and looked at the grapes in disgust. What a fool I am, he said. Here I am wearying myself out to get a bunch of sour grapes that are not worth gaping for. 
and off he walked very, very scornfully. Uh, This fox convinces himself, works very hard to convince himself that the grapes are sour. He deceives himself. Uh, To borrow the language of the psychologist, the fox is engaging in cognitive dissonance. Benjamin Franklin once said this, who has deceived thee so often as thyself? This is the nature of humanity. We engage in self-deception, and this is really central to today's text as the first verse states quite plainly, let no one deceive himself. We must protect ourselves from deception. We usually believe that this particular attack of deception comes from without, and so we spend a lot of time asking ourselves which media outlets are telling us the truth, which books are telling us the truth, and which books are lies. But I think we spend very little time fortifying ourselves and protecting ourselves from ourselves. As odd as it may sound to us, lies come not only from outside, but they also come from inside. We can lie to ourselves. And this, of course, is fitting uh, in with Paul's discussion of wisdom, which is what this whole section of 1 Corinthians has been about. Today, we will be concluding chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. In these three chapters, we have seen the word wisdom and the word wise used 24 times. The words fool, folly, or foolish used nine times. If you have been wondering why over the last several weeks as we've been going through this passage, if you've been wondering why I've been talking so much about rejecting the wisdom of the world and the philosophies of the world and instead embracing the wisdom of God, this is it. It is simply because that is the emphasis of the text in front of us. The text continues to talk about wisdom and folly, God's wisdom and then the world's wisdom, which ultimately it describes as being folly. Stop thinking like the world. That's the simple admonition here. But why would Paul take up this topic again that he has talked so much about? Why beat a dead horse? Well, one of the functions in the passage in front of us, and I would suggest to us the function or one of the functions of the entire Bible is to pressure us into thinking about which side we're on. It's if the Bible were asking us a question, and the question quite simply is this, are you in or are you out? And with the increasing pressure the Christian experiences from the world, the reality that's laid out in front of us could not be clearer. There is no fence-sitting option for the Christian. As Jesus says, you either gather or you scatter. You are either for Christ or not, which I think is part of the reason why Paul emphasizes this so much, because he really wants to make the point that there is no fence-sitting option for you. It is God's wisdom or the wisdom of the world. Take your pick. Let's look at the passage in front of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If any of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. 
So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. We're going to look at this uh, first in verses 18 through 20, and we're going to call this section, Do Not Deceive, uh, Do Not Deceive Yourselves. Do not engage in sectarianism. This has been the continued admonition from 1 Corinthians 1. Paul said in that chapter, some of you say you're of Paul and you are of Apollos and you're of Cephas. And then what we said is probably the arrogant group of people. Some of you say, well, I am of Christ. Paul has been condemning this sectarianism and he hasn't dropped the subject yet. Stop saying I'm of Paul. Stop saying I'm of Apollos. That's what this present section picks up again and continues to discuss. The essence of his argument was this. Human wisdom creates division. Godly wisdom unites. You're divided, Paul says to the Corinthians, because the reason that you are divided, the reason you're going out and saying, I'm of Paul, I'm, an of, I'm of Apollos. You want to know why you're doing that? You're doing that because you've embraced worldly wisdom. And so he simply says, put it off and embrace godly wisdom. Stop thinking like the world and you'll start to become united with one another. That is uh, a rather basic summary of the messages that we've heard from the last several weeks. Uh, and really from chapter 1 uh, in verse 10, this theme has been discussed again and again and again. And today's text kind of picks up on this same theme. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 3 says, Let no one deceive himself. If any of you thinks that he is wise, here's our word again, wise, uh, then let him become a fool that he may become wise. Self-deception is a very real and very destructive phenomenon. The Bible warns the Christian repeatedly. You say, this is something that's kind of odd to say that someone could deceive themselves. Because if you were going to deceive yourself, you would have to simultaneously believe the truth in order to be able to tell yourself the lie and also believe the lie at the same time. How can someone have these two things going on? And so, again, to borrow the, the word of the, the psychologist, they call it cognitive dissonance. But the Bible talked about this long before the psychologist did. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, we read, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your own heart is deceptive. Romans 1, 18 through 19 says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How can you suppress the truth if you don't know the truth to begin with? So truth suppressors are people who are engaged in self-deception. Then we read this in James 1.26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Interesting that James says you can deceive your own heart. You can be the agent who is doing the deceiving to your own heart. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Self-deception. We can see this phenomenon in the cancer victim who, after given a diagnosis, does everything possible to suppress the truth, to ignore it, and just pretend that everything's okay. I don't have cancer. What are you talking about? 
when all the evidence is right in front of them. Paul is using this word to talk about self-deception in the area of worldly and godly wisdom. Paul says that there is a very real possibility that you will think you're wise when you're not, and thus you've deceived yourself. Of course, the Corinthian Christians are under the delusion that they are wise. They have adopted, of course, the wisdom of Corinth. They have, begun, uh, they have engaged in this sectarianism, and they think that they are wise. And Paul gives the cure here in this first verse of our text when he says, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is really, what does it mean when he says, become a fool to become wise? Uh, you know, kind of the way down is up. What do, you, what do you mean by that? It's simply a way of saying, let go of the world's wisdom. Become a fool in the world's eyes. Embrace what the world says is folly, because that is really what's wisdom. So you can have, on the one hand, uh, someone who has a PhD, or perhaps they're a PhD expert in counseling or reconciliation, and then on the other hand, you can have this backwoods, you know, country hick Christian who simply says, well, I, I mean, I believe that if you trust Christ, you pursue Christ, he fixes broken relationships. And in the world's economy, the PhD has all the wisdom, but in God's economy, at least in this particular example, the little know-nothing Christian is on top. The things that the world says, that's foolish. Christ, are you serious? Are you kidding me? God says that's wisdom, that's truth. And of course, we saw in 1 Corinthians 1 and extending into 1 Corinthians 2 that one of the reasons that God does this and God arranges the world in this way is because he delights to frustrate the wisdom of the world. He delights to elevate what the world thinks is uh, foolish so that he can crush the wisdom of the world. So that, of course, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 1, no one may boast. Why is God doing this? Because he wants to say, he wants to make a point that nobody can boast. It's all of God. This is all of the Lord. Nobody ever truly graduates from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Those who are wise according to worldly standards and who have rejected Christ will one day discover that they are on the wrong side of history. And thus we must reject and relinquish the world's wisdom. Why? Because of the next verse in verse 19. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. This is a quotation from Job 5.13 where it says, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. The point here is that God is the instrument that is causing the failure of the world's wisdom. He is delighting in doing this because he is the one coming out as wise. This is why we must relinquish the world's wisdom. Then he quotes another Old Testament passage. So in 1 Corinthians 3.20, he says, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And then that's a quote from Psalm 94.11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. And it's really at this point that we look at this passage and we say, how many times can Paul throw worldly wisdom under the bus? How many times can he again and again take worldly wisdom and say, it's nothing? How many times, how many different ways can Paul come up with saying the same exact thing? 
you've probably noticed that in 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, there has been a lot of repetition. And that's because the text is offering a lot of repetition. How many different ways can he say the same thing? How many different ways can Paul tell us this kind of wisdom is bad? But perhaps even more to the point is why? Why does he say it so many times in these first three chapters? Why does he rebuke worldly wisdom uh, so much? I think it was Martin Luther who was asked, why do you preach justification by faith alone to us every single week? And he responded by saying, because you forget it every week. (laughs) And I think perhaps maybe we could say something very similar here. Why is it, Paul, that you have spilled so much ink over telling us to reject the wisdom of the world? And perhaps maybe we could say that it's simply because you forget it every week. You continue to forget and continue to go back to the wisdom of this world. We find ourselves continually tempted to embrace it because we're swimming in it. You go to work and it's there. You turn on the news and it's there. You go to social media and it's there. You go to the grocery store and it's there. You, you, you go on vacation and it's there. You, you talk to your neighbors and it's there. It's everywhere, 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 everywhere. So, so much so that it feels normal. The Corinthian Christians, Paul is writing to them that they must understand this crucial concept. You don't reject the wisdom of the world, Corinthians. You don't fix your disunity. And we could say the same thing for us. We don't fix our fascination with what the world has to offer us. And we don't become united as Christians. They must realize that their worldly thinking has caused their sectarianism. And this is what Paul reminds them in the very next verse. Notice how he connects these realities. Stop thinking like the world. Then in verse 21, What's the transition here? So don't boast in men, for all things are yours, he says. The, The meaning is this. Show me that you've stopped thinking like the world by putting off your boasting in men. Glory in Christ, not in people. And so you want to have a little bit of a litmus test? There's one litmus test in front of us. Am I thinking like the world? Well, have I embraced this sectarianism? Am I boasting in men, even in myself? He says, glory in Christ, not in people. Why? Because all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. I think the logic of this may be a little bit challenging to follow, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, stop thinking like the world, become a fool to the world so you can truly become wise. Put off this worldly thinking so that, or so let no one boast in men. So if you put off this worldly thinking, it helps us to boast only in Christ. But he says, don't boast in men for, he gives the reason, for all things are yours. And he brings this sectarianism for even Paul and Apollos. You guys are arguing over Paul and Apollos and Cephas, but remember, all are yours. They're all yours. What does he mean? Well, here's what I think Paul is trying to get at. What Paul is saying is that when you begin to pursue and elevate these men above the Lord and say, I am of Paul or I am of Cephas, what they are doing is what one commentator calls impoverishing themselves. 
Paul has given the Corinthian Christians, or God has given the Corinthian Christians, Paul and Apollos and Cephas as servants to bless them. And they are impoverishing themselves by not taking advantage of all that God has given them. They're saying, oh, I'm just of Paul, or I'm just of Apollos, or I'm just of Cephas. The blessings available in Christ are numerous, and they have limited themselves to just one of these teachers. Paul and Apollos and Cephas were on the same team. And the Christians who were clinging to Paul were not benefiting from the ministry of Apollos and Cephas. And the same with the others. Christ had given these Christians multiple teachers to bless them, and they were rejecting God's good gifts. Through our union with Christ, through the doctrine of union with Christ, we today are blessed with so many good gifts, and yet we often reject what God has given us in favor of worldly wisdom. For us, oftentimes it is that God has given us pastors and teachers and theologians, and really we we can say, I think, Quite honestly, uh, as one of my friends says, that here in America, we have an embarrassment of riches. Uh, we, we have hundreds and thousands of resources and riches to turn to to help us understand the scriptures. And yet, what our temptation is, is to discard all of that and run to the world and trust their judgment better. Why impoverish ourselves? Why run to the world to understand the nature of things when the Lord has given to us so many riches in Christ? The Corinthians were rejecting this and instead living impoverished lives. Paul reminds them instead that they belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. It's a statement of identity. Instead of acting like their own masters, you don't belong to yourself, like masters of their own destinies, they should live as they are truly servants of Christ. And this is what we need today. We need to recognize who we are. We need to fix our own identities. You don't belong to Christ. Christ has blessed you with so much. Don't impoverish yourselves by running to worldly wisdom. Run to Christ. And so as I was preparing this message today, and we're getting basically to the end of Paul's section on wisdom. We have a little bit more kind of in chapter four. Um, I was thinking that we've talked a lot about rejecting worldly wisdom, and we've given a few applications along the way. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking is, how can we make this a little bit more specific and maybe less generic? So instead of saying over and over again, stop thinking like the world and start thinking like uh, after Christ's wisdom, what are some philosophies that the world is promoting today, specifically speaking, where we think after the world to maybe give us something to, you know, kind of hang our thoughts on? The overarching application today is basically this. Stop deceiving yourselves by embracing worldly thinking and instead embrace godly thinking. That's the big application. So if that's the big umbrella, what are some of the practical ways of thinking that the world teaches us that we should avoid? And so I want to give you several of those. This is uh, a very short summary of the contrast between human wisdom and divine wisdom in 2021. Human wisdom says this, Be authentic to yourself. 
Divine wisdom says this, deny yourself. And of course, this worldly wisdom, I'm going to give not all of these, but as I go through these bullet points, I'm going to give to you some of where this stuff comes from so you know this isn't stuff that we've automatically just started thinking by ourselves. This be authentic to yourself comes from Rousseau. And the Bible says, deny yourself. Human wisdom says this, we are here because of a cosmic accident. This is Darwin, of course. Divine wisdom says this, you are created by God with meaning and purpose. Human wisdom says this, everything literally is about race. This is, of course, critical race theory. Divine wisdom says this, you are all one in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3. Human wisdom says this, you are the author of your own identity. And this is a little bit of Rousseau again as well. Divine wisdom says this, your identity is assigned to you by God. Human wisdom says this, you define truth. This is relativism. Divine wisdom says this, God defines truth. Human wisdom says this, have an open mind. Divine wisdom says this, the Hebrew word for fool in the Old Testament means open-minded. Human wisdom says this, people should be viewed by the group that they belong to as an oppressor or as an oppressed class. This is neo-Marxism. Divine wisdom says this, people should be viewed as individuals, as individual image bearers of God. Human wisdom says this, there is no meaningful difference between men and women. This is, of course, feminism. Divine wisdom says this, men and women were created with complementary natures and roles to the glory of God. Human wisdom says this, you are free to create yourself. Uh, this is from Nietzsche. Uh, divine wisdom says this, God has created your human nature. Human wisdom says this, your value comes from writing your own story. This is uh, Jean-Paul uh, Sartre, uh, existentialism. Divine wisdom says this, your value comes from being an image bearer of God. Human wisdom says this, sexual expression is fundamental to my identity. This is Freud. Divine wisdom says this, uh, sex is a gift to be cultivated rather than clay to be fashioned as you choose. Human wisdom says this, I should make moral decisions based on what makes me feel happy. This is expressive individualism. Divine wisdom instead says this, I should make moral decisions based on God's word. Human wisdom says this, and I'm borrowing this exact phrase from an author. The traditional patriarchal family unit is a unit of oppression. Uh, Wilhelm Reich. This uh, divine wisdom says the traditional family is a gift from God that displays the relationship between Christ and his church. Now we could go on and on with these. And uh, I decided to share some of the names and philosophies, even if you don't know who these people are, share some of the names and philosophies behind these thoughts for a reason. And that is this, to make us aware of the fact that if you are embracing the thinking behind these statements, you did not come up with these ideas on your own. You, you did not come up and say, uh, this seems reasonable to me all by myself. You absorbed them from somewhere else. This is how the world thinks. 
not how Christians are supposed to think. And every one of these points, we could go Bible passage after Bible passage showing how these are ways that uh, not how Christ expects us to think, but how the world thinks. And so the application for us today is to simply reject this worldly thinking and instead embrace godly thinking. Otherwise, as the text says, you are self-deceived. Philosophies, theories, sociologies, and all of these things come and go, but the Bible is here to stay. Trust in Christ. And if you are someone here today who is living without Christ, may I encourage you to repent to trust in Christ as Savior, because he helps us to think godly thoughts after himself, to think godly thoughts uh, after the word and not after the world. I would be happy to talk with any of you. I know many of us here at the church would be happy to explain the gospel to you. Let's go ahead and close uh, in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your uh, faithfulness. We thank you for who you are and for what you do. Help us now as we continue in Christ's name. Amen.